iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for coming to this special event. Without further ado, please welcome Robert Rodriguez, Jimmy Bennett, and Jolie Vanier. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. Hello, everybody. Hello. What's going on? So we're here to um, introduce you to a movie we just made only about a year ago. It's coming out in a couple of weeks called Shorts. Shorts is something that I started making at the age of 17. Because that's when I came up with one of the stories that's in it that involves a giant booger monster. And I didn't know how I was going to make it back then unless I used trash bags and slime. And now that CG caught up to my dreams, I was able to get to make it and uh, cast these wonderful actors. I had to wait till they were born. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of things that you know start in your mind and then don't get realized till much later. But that's why you got to just hold on to those ideas, write them down, jot them down. If anyone saw Spy Kids, there's some thumb characters that walk around. I had thought that up back when I was 13 and saved that for years and years. So um, sometimes uh, that's the thing about the create creative juices flowing start early but you just got to write them down so you don't forget them put them in a movie we're going to show you a trailer for short so you know the context of what we're going to be talking about and then we'll take some Q&A and just do some A ready go ahead and show this is my neighborhood Black Falls community my name is Toby Thompson it's pretty much the same every day until I found the rock I wish that I were the most powerful thing in the entire world. The adults are gonna wreck this place for sure. Gotta stop them. Right. Right. From the director of Spy Kids, more adventure. I wish you were a dung beetle. Than you could ever wish for. Shorts, a not-so-tall tale. I wish I had telephonesis! Telephonesis, you dummy! Thank you. And then the stars of the movie, Jimmy Bennett and Jolie Vanier. <laughs> we had a lot of special effects in the movie. One of them was getting Jimmy's hair shorter. <laughs> the other was making hers darker. What was it like playing such a mean girl when you're such a sweet girl? It was fun. How did, how did you do it, though? That's what I wondered. Um, I don't know. It was just a fun character to play. She's, she's mean. She's bad of the bone. She loves beating up Toe, even though it's to hide her true feelings. <laughs> Which are? She has a huge crush on Toe Thompson. Now, you, you realize you scared me when I first met you. You came into the room for the audition... And I thought you were just a mean girl. <laughs> and, and then you turned out, and then I went and asked you, and you said, no, I was just playing the character from the moment I walked in. But I was scared. I thought, okay, either she's really mean, and I should hire her because she's perfect for the role, or she's just acting mean, and I should hire her because she's a fantastic actress. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out you're acting, so that was great. And this is your first film. 
It is. I was really excited. Um, I never expected anything like shorts to be my first thing. Uh, so my manager actually called me, and she said, you booked Helvetica. I absolutely screamed at the top of my lungs, and I asked if we had the script. And I read it, and it's like the best script ever. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. What did you think? I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really funny and a great opportunity. Um, Toe is such a different character than what I'm normally used to playing. Uh, he gets bullied by her, and <laughs> he does like her, but they don't really want to share their feelings for each other. So they both kind of hide it in their own different ways. And then when the magic rock comes, everything gets turned upside down, and everybody gets to work together, and crazy stuff happens. Yes. Yeah. So um, uh, we're going to do a, a few question and answer things, and I'm going to show you something on how this movie gets made, because this is a movie that I made, in, in literally, some of it in my backyard. When I um, first started making movies, starting from the age of 12, I would shoot with a video camera, uh, back in the early 80s with my brothers and sisters. I'm from a family of 10 kids. That's where a lot of these story ideas come from. And I would, I would shoot and edit these movies and enter them in short film contests. And I always loved the short film subject and uh, format. And so when this movie came about through my son idea to make something kind of like The Little Rascals, that's why it's called Shorts because it's a bunch of short stories put together, told out of order, out of sequence because Toe can't remember what order they went in. And it's, it's an interesting way to tell a movie in this day and age using technology and, and, the, and the opposite of technology, which is this magic rock they find under a rainbow. So, um, uh, do we have any questions? Right off the bat, yes. How much did it cost? How much did the movie cost? More than you can imagine. <laughs> no. It's uh, probably a lot less than you can imagine, actually, if you watch the, the, the trailer and the movie itself. Um, since we may get in Austin, Texas at my studios, it, we, the emphasis is on creativity and, and using technology to, to lower the cost that you can have, have the creative freedom to make any kind of thing you want. Um, some of the biggest laughs are things like you saw the baby who, who can, who can uh, has, you know, she can talk with just her mind. There's no effect there. It's just an idea. So a lot of the creativity comes from just using your imagination and not uh, putting the money where you need it just to get an idea across, but the rest is really coming up with an idea of, you know, they're holding a rock and it's glowing and it's really what they say and what they do and the characters that really sell it. So that's why I kind of force myself to use less money on movies and, uh, and use more imagination. Yes? How much money, without explaining how much money it costs to make, but how much money did you save... Using, do you use Apple equipment, Apple software? It's you know, just, percentage you know, wise. I've always, I mean, I, I've started with, uh, I think my first computer was a Radio Shack TRS-80 computer that, you know, the hard drive was a cassette tape or cassette deck. And that's how you would import stuff. And then my first real computer after that was an Apple II. So I had an Apple II when I was, you know, in grade school. Then I got, you know, uh, I think a Commodore 64. I would do my movie titles with it. Moved up to the first Macintosh. And since then, I've always been an Apple guy. You know, I, I edit uh, my movies on, on Avid, um, back when they first had Avid on Macs, on Desperado. So uh, that was one of the first movies at a studio, at Sony Studios, that edited it digitally. 
they were always still, even back then, they were cutting on film. So I'd always been into doing uh, new technology, and, and Apple's just always uh, been the thing for me. I've never had a PC. Yes, sir? I know some of your kids were in the movie. Yeah, some of my kids are in the movie. Is it difficult directing your kids versus like directing, you know, real actors? Is it harder to direct my kids yeah. than the regular actors? Yeah. Um, the regular actors, it's, it's it's easier because you know they're hired, uh, they're getting paid, they're there to do a job. My own kids can just always blow me off, and there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> they know you don't really have any authority over them. There's no real contract. There's nothing on the line. These guys have their parents there. I can always go give their parents, tell their parents to have a talk with them. No, it's like, yeah, my kids were, were, were pretty easy to direct because I've worked with them a lot during the, you know, they've always worked on the movies. And this first, in the Spy Kids movies, they were the stunt kids. So they took a beating. Now, they, now they're, they're much happier just doing acting and not having to be beat up like I used to do. Because there's no such thing as a stunt kid. You have to use your own kids. They used to use, uh, you know, little people. And for that movie, we, we, we just used my own kids. Yes, sir. Uh, how old are your lead actors The, the idea of the characters was that they would be in the 10 to 11 year old range. I just felt like that's a real magical age just before they turned into teenagers where this kind of stuff is still possible. How old were you in reality when you made the movie? I was probably about to turn 12. Yeah. And you're 10? Yeah, I was yeah. 10. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was about the age range. I think uh, the other little boy, Loogie, I think was around 10 also. was it? Yeah, about 10 or 11 years old. That's just always... For me, I know... Raising kids, I have five kids of my own. I, I always imagined, even though you got a little more time than that, that you got about ten good years with your kids to make an impression of their childhood, so that they remember their childhood with you, and they and they get nostalgic about it when they're older and before they turn to peers and have that influence. I always thought that that was those were the magic years, so you really want to make those count. And you, you get a little. My thirteen-year-old still listens to me, but you know, you 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 really got it from that up to the twelve-year period. Anybody else? Yes? I'm sorry? This is, uh, is Bedhead anything related to this? Bedhead was done with my brothers and sisters when I was in, uh, before I went to college. And um, when I was just in college. So this is very much a throwback to that type of movie. You can see Bedhead on, on YouTube. It's a short film I made. It's eight minutes long in my backyard in San Antonio with a wind-up film camera. It's eight minutes long, and it's um, it won a lot of short film festivals for me before I made El Mariachi, and it's got this style, very much this style, and uh, this is what this is kind of based on. Yes, sir. Did I make Spy Kids one, two, and three? Yes, I made those three. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you all loved him. <laughs> you think I should make another Spy Kids? That's not a bad idea. <laughs> well, I might do that. Yes. Since you uh, work in so many artificial environments when you're making your films, uh, do you storyboard the whole movie? Um, I, don't sto I, I don't storyboard the movies. Um, sometimes I'll do a key drawing. If it's an effect shot, I'll do a drawing. But um, since I'm the editor and the, and the cinematographer, a lot of the times which you, the reason why you would draw is to show people on the crew what, what it is you need. So if, if somebody in particular needs it, 
I'll do it. Otherwise, I'll already. I'll just. It's sometimes easier to grab the camera and just and and just set it. A lot of times, what I'll do is when I go to a location, is I'll take a still camera, and I'll just I'll stand somebody where I want them, and I'll shoot all the angles that I'm going to shoot. And that's much faster than a, than a storyboard. It looks much better because it's the real location. It's the right lens, and then later we can use that as a reference to know all the shots we're going to get. So um, I found that that's much easier than and and much faster way to plan and shoot something. Yes, sir. Are you sticking with the F23 or are you going to be trying or using the RED? Um, uh, on this one, we use the Genesis because I use that on uh, the, Panav- the Panavision Genesis. And I don't know what else is that. Is the, the F35 out yet? I don't remember. Yes. I did use that. I, I shot a George Clooney commercial this summer with that. That was pretty good. But the Genesis, we worked with them a lot to create a, a camera system that has a lot of metadata in it. So any, anywhere you aim the camera, all the, lens, all the lenses, it gives you a ton of metadata so that when you're doing post-production and effects, you don't have to recreate these things. And these other, none of the other cameras have that. And um, it's something we worked with them a while on over the past many years. Yes, sir. Well, you're talking about distribution and whether you should try traditional versus uh, revolutionary. Uh, go with revolutionary. <laughs> I would I would do that because no one's figured that out yet, and and that's where. I mean, when I made El Mariachi, people thought it was a big deal because I made a movie with no crew and no money, and it was just something new. And uh, there's this thing called when you break the M field, it's you do something that wasn't considered possible before. It's not that it was impossible. It's just no one really thought to do it. And then as soon as that someone does it, suddenly everybody's doing it because they realize, oh, that's an option. So no one's really done that yet with digital distribution or figured it out yet. It's not that it's impossible. Just no one's really thought about it long enough. So if, you, if someone goes and puts their mind to it long enough, they'll figure it out. Might as well be you. Yes, sir. I went to the University of Texas in Austin because I grew up in San Antonio. And um, I got through about a semester of, of, uh, of film school before I made El Mariachi during the summer. And that was my first film that got out. And then I just finished my degree last year <laughs> and did a commencement speech this year. It took me a while to finish because I got taken away to go make movies. But I wanted to finish my degree because I thought it was important to show my kids. And radio, TV, and film is my degree. Yes, sir. Did you always think you Kids films, as, as many kids films as well as adult films. Did I always think I'd make family films as well as uh, action films? Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually think I'd ever be a filmmaker because no one really came out of San Antonio, Texas before, or anywhere in Texas, except maybe Terrence Malick. But um, I, I started with the family films, and when I did El Mariachi, I only did that as an action film because that's what the Spanish video market wanted. 
So when that became my movie, I, be, I was sure to tell the studios, hey, I, I also do family films. That's actually what I'm known for. It's, I'm, I'm going to want to do one later. And that became Spy Kids, which is, uh, still has been my more successful movies have been those. And your, your most loyal audience, because the kids watch those things over and over again. Yes, sir. Spike Kids 3? The droids? I'm trying to remember which part. Oh, the thumb guys. The thumb guys? The brains? Oh, where did I get all those guys from? Um, they were just a bunch of local kids, and we did a special effect to make it look like they had empty heads and stuck these little brain things, which I still have at home. Uh, he's wondering where I got the Spike Kid droid from. We just uh, made it sound like they're robots by just changing the sound of their voice. So again, there's a low-budget trick by not having any... You don't have any robots. You just have kids walk around like this and, and say... Blah, 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 and then put little computer sound effects over it. Yeah, you just be creative with what you... <laughs> Scotch tape and popsicle sticks. Is always... Do you sort of roll the credits as far as the CG is concerned? Is there one product or a collection of half a dozen products? Do you use like Maya? Oh, for the special effects? It depends on the company. Um, who does the effects? We started our company with Maya. Now we use uh, XSI. Is that what it's called? Yeah. We switched to that because another company we work with in Canada uses that as far as effects go. But... Um, Yeah, we have some proprietary software as well that we use. Do we have any other questions for these guys before I start asking them some questions? And I'm going to show you this making of that's pretty cool. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for being here. I just want to ask you, do you feel that independent filmmakers can make a living on the internet? Can filmmakers make a living on the internet as far as digital distribution, you asked? I think anything is possible. I certainly wouldn't. If somebody asked uh, if I thought I'd be here today, <laughs> coming from where I did, making the movies I was making, uh, I wouldn't have thought it was possible. Now, now I've learned to sing a different tune, which is anything is possible if you put your mind to it. So I'm going to show you the... the um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Can I ask Jimmy and Julia a question? Yeah. Like the, oh, no, don't ask... Uh, that's not the questions we wanted. He's asking, <laughs> what was it like for them to work with me? Um, well, it was really easy because he knew what he wanted from the beginning. Um, and uh, there was no, like, questions, and he just basically told us what he wanted, and it was very clear, and it was just really easy. I liked, stand there, say your lines, and make it good. <laughs> Action. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. Um, he made it real easy. Um, he's very laid back, and he, know, he knows what he wants, so that's why all his movies turn out so great. Um, yeah, it's just really fun. And he's just a great person to work with. <laughs> it was my One Direction. I kept saying over and over. Do you remember? Big um, eyes. What? Big oh, eyes. Yeah, big eyes. oh, yeah. Big eyes. Oh, yeah. How many times did I say that? Big eyes. Like <laughs> three times a day. <laughs> yeah. This movie has the biggest eyes you'll ever see. I just have this <laughs> idea that 
If you see somebody on screen make their eyes really big, the audience can't help but do the same thing. So <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of that. In fact, you saw in the trailer, they both look at the camera at one point, and their eyes are like this big around. We kept putting drops in their eyes because they were yeah. Out. So I'm going to show you this um, little making of on how I make these movies with my children because my son came up with a story idea. They've been involved with my movies. They've inspired a lot of my movies and people say why do you make family films and you know when you're going to give someone advice on how to write a script or write a book or make a movie they always say write what you know and what I know is what's around me which is my family I grew up in a family of 10 I have five kids of my own and you can't help but be influenced by that so sure if my kid has an idea I'm going to steal it I'm going to make a movie around it but uh, this is uh, how we do it and, and you'll see some of the tricks of the trade as far as family movie making goes and how you can make cool home movies with your kids or just cool home movies in general some tricks okay thank you uh, I'll open it up to any more questions and if anybody have any questions I'll elongate the questions yes What's the update on Machete? Oh, hey, first we got to talk kid movies, and then I'll get into Machete. As the reward, we just finished our first week. Um, this week is awesome. But uh, let's talk about this first. But it was great because... Oh, wait, hold on. Yes, sir. <laughs> How much did you allow the kids to improvise? How much did I allow the kids to improvise? Jolie? Uh, there were certain parts where we could improvise, and then other parts where we just kind of like had to really stick to the script. Um, I guess when we're like mostly running around the neighborhood trying to get the rock back from the parents, that's when we mostly got to improvise, just add a couple of our own things in there, and just to make it seem like we actually are trying to get this magical wishing rock um, out of the wrong hands. Uh, so there were different parts. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, that whole sequence. Um, and some of the party stuff when we're trying to get the rock, um, it was some of that. And sometimes Robert would ask us, what would kids really say in this situation? And um, we would kind of talk about it a little bit and come up with some cool stuff. A lot of what an actor brings is a reality to the character. Um, once you cast somebody, you end up doing a whole rewrite for the actor once you see what they can do to really capitalize on what they can do. And so I always, you know, there's, uh, some director said this, it might have been John Ford, I, I make three, three movies, the one I write, the one I direct, and then the one I edit. So you, you write a version of your movie first, and then once you get your actors involved, you, you make another movie, which is what it tr almost turns out to, what you shoot, and then once you finish editing, that's what, because after we'd shot it, sometimes we'd go back, and with her in particular, she was really great at, um, we would redub some of her lines with a different inflection, and it would give it a whole different meaning, and it was really, really kind of cool. She would just nail, she just nailed the the line reading, so um, uh, the timing, so it doesn't sound like it's dubbed. And you could, she might have been making an expression that was comical, but then we would uh, put a voice in it that sounded serious, and the com combination would be really odd. We got to play with a lot of things like that, and, th and those are non-effects, but it really makes uh, it really makes a difference. And, uh, and also, you, you're just inspired by um, just their physicality. When she walked in, I don't know if you normally did that, but you walked in with these pigtails. And uh, why was that? Was that part of the character, or you just came in that, that day kind of casual? Uh, 
I guess like pigtails are like part of the character, and then I guess you like the pigtails, and so I'm in pigtails in most of the scenes. <laughs> They kept her in pigtails and braces the entire movie until the last scene where you get to bring your hair down. Yeah, kind of cool. And I'm not dress. wearing I'm not wearing any black. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Yes, another question. Oh, don't make me talk about machete. Yes. Do I ever consider doing anything? Will I? Would I ever consider doing? Did I ever consider doing this one in 3D? Oh. Um, we knew that could be an option if we uh, if we had enough time to do it in post because there's some post methods that are really good that I've been working with some companies that do it uh, the live action versions in post because the other ones I had shot 3D but I did them on green screen where you can really control the depth of backgrounds and that's really hard to do for full live action and uh, if you do it in post where you actually create that second eye you can really control how far things come off the screen and, and, uh, and keep the continuity. So, so from cut to cut, you don't have something that's here, and then the next cut, it's way out there, which would happen if you're not really on it um, when you're shooting the live action. So if you can do it in post, that's a, that's a much better way to go for live action. Because in animation, that's what you do. You, you, you get it just Once you've got your movie done, then you do the right eye so that you have the stereo, stereo vision. And you can control how much you want stuff off the screen from cut to cut and make it smooth. But I uh, know I love 3D. I think it's a great option to have because um, later when they do have home systems that can show great 3D, if you've already shot your movie in 3D, you can you'll you'll have product for that for that. Yes. When's this movie coming out? And like, because I haven't seen any commercials. It's just starting to really hit because uh, there's like G-force and. The Cobra movie, so you know, as other family films go out, you you really <laughs> bombarding the airwaves and and seeing every all over the place. So it comes out uh, at the end of August, August twenty first. August twenty first. Okay. Yes, sir. Has it gotten easier to make films the way you make films over since you gotten started since Desperado? Now, like, is it easier for you to explain how you do things to the studios than it used to be? Or? People understand you better now. Is it easier to, to, to explain to the studios how I make the movies now than it was in the old days? Yeah, I mean, originally there was a lot of skepticism because I, my method was just so odd. I, I didn't really learn my method in film school because they taught you how to do it the normal way, and I, and I had never done it that way. I, I, I'd been making movies for years with this method. So, like, when I went to do Desperado, I told them, well, you know, I want to be the editor. And they said, mm, you can't. We've never had a director edit his own movies. <laughs> and I thought, well, you bought El Mariachi and I edited that. So they said, all right, we'll let you edit it, but you got to edit it here in L.A. so we can watch you. And once you get the precedent set, once they know that you've done it once at a studio, then you can do it from then on. And then they just go, oh, that's that guy who does his movies that way. And then you get more accepted. But it'd be much harder for me now if I hadn't been doing it that way. To, if I now went to them and said... I want to make a big movie for you, but I want to be the editor and the cinematographer and the composer and the production designer and the mixer and the, you know, that would be like, uh, no, because you haven't never done it before. But if that's just the method you brought along, then that's the precedent and that's how you can get it done. And they see the result. They see that you can make a movie that looks much more expensive than it costs and so the value of it is higher and, and they can actually make more of a profit, which at the end of the day is what they want. And in exchange for that, they give you a lot more creative freedom. So if you can use technology and tools 
to lower the cost of your of your product, then that is ultimately the best for your creative freedom and for ultimately what their what their business is. Uh, yes, back there in the middle. Did you kind of do uh, more movies with Quentin? Am I going to do more movies with Quentin? I don't know. I didn't get to ask him today. We're doing press today at the at the hotel for for, and he was on the floor above me with Brad Pitt doing press for his movie because his movie opens the same day as mine. So, uh, but uh, we 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 want to. Yes, okay. Do you agree, like James Cameron, that 3D is the future? Um, Jim Jim and I have been into 3D for a long time. I was originally going to do Dust Till Dawn in 3D. The second half of that, when they get into the bar. From that point on, if you watch the movie, it, you can see it's even set up for 3D. Everything's always aimed in the camera. They're always firing arrows into the camera or the sh- gunshots are in the camera. Everything's always coming right into the camera. But the cameras they had back then were only the old film um, 3D cameras, which were huge. And I knew that to get that handheld crazy style, it was just never going to happen. It was not going to fly. It was just archaic equipment. So I was really bummed that I couldn't do that. And then, and then uh, like... A couple months later, I went to visit Jim Cameron, who was shooting a 3D ride for Universal, Terminator 2, the 3D ride. And he was using the big, giant, 65-millimeter 3D cameras that was on a huge crane. And he just said, hey, strap that on your steady cam," Because it was just gigantic, you know, this dinosaur equipment. So when we got into HD 3D, it's much lighter, much more manageable. And so he's been, I know, as a, a big, uh, you know, just a big fan of 3D as long as I have, if not longer. But uh, yeah, I think anything that brings more value to the theatrical experience, something you can't get at home, is really, uh, is really, the, it, like he said, that's the future of exhibition, is to still bring people to the theaters to get something they can't get somewhere else. Yes. He's asking about uh, the music composition, the mixing uh, aspect of what I do. Um, I've worked in music since the beginning on my movies in some way, but usually my movies were kind of rock-based things, and it wasn't until the Spy Kid movies that I had to get more into orchestra, and I didn't know how to... I didn't think I was going to write it. I just didn't know who to hire, so I asked Danny Elfman for advice, and he just said, why don't you just do it? I was like, I don't, I don't know how to even read and write music. I don't know what you're talking about. But then I realized, oh, wait a minute. He used to be an Oingo Boingo. So um, he made it sound so easy that I went and got some software that he showed me what he used. And on, on, on Apple, I went and used Apple uh, software. Uh, I used a Digital Performer and Pro Tools and, and did mock-ups of, of orchestra with orchestral samples and then had an orchestra replay it. And uh, it's just—it's pretty simple. There's only 12 notes in a scale, and I mean, and, and there's only 12 notes, and in a scale even less. So you're going like, gling, gling, gling. Oh, that sounds horrible. Oh, that, that sounds good. And you kind of figure out very simple melodies because the simpler the melody, the, the easier it is for people to remember. And you want your melodies to be catchy so people recognize it. And I would wor- work up huge numbers just piece by piece like that, and. It, each one gave you more confidence. I just started composing each movie until I got, you know, more proficient at it. And um, but yeah, I just now I do a mix of sometimes real orchestra and sometimes not. The samples sound really good, and I'll add real guitar to it or um, or drum loops and 
and uh, some mixture of things, synths and, and sound effects, anything to just kind of make a soundscape and to get a lot of stuff. Like her, she has a theme song in the movie that's really popular. People who have seen it. Uh, and I was singing it already on the set while we were filming. And so some things you come up with while you're even making the movie. And so you're way ahead of the game. Usually you don't hire a composer to the tail end. So that's one of the things I like about making the music is you can get a jump start on it while you're writing the script. Sometimes you can already be writing the score. Yes, sir. Distribution? Uh, distribution? How did you handle that? How did you do that? How did you work it out? The distribution, uh, that trailer you saw with my kids was something we did as a, as a way to just show people what the movie was. And Warner Brothers saw that and that, hey, we'll, we'll buy that movie. And they gave us the money to go, I mean, uh, we had a company put out the money to go make it and they distributed it. And so Warner Brothers is putting it out. But it was based on doing a test trailer in the backyard. Anything, anytime you can give somebody something other than just a script, because you got to remember it's a visual medium. So if you can mock up the movie in some way, whether it's a trailer or a scene, because you can shoot stuff so simply now in video and edit it and put sound and music, you can make it look like it's almost a finished product, um, that they'll get a better idea of what they're seeing. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. You can, you can hand them scripts all day, but if you just show them something that they can see works on a visual level, with, with even those are just my own kids acting in it, you can kind of get the idea, you know, with a telephone in the head and all that. Um, what what you're looking at and what the movie's purpose is, then that that gives you a big leg up on being able to get distribution. I've done that a lot. That's how we did Machete. Machete, we did the trailer, and the trailer became so popular that people wanted it so badly. We were able to get a, a movie made with Sin City. I, I shot the opening scene before I convinced Frank Miller to even um, give the rights to to make the movie. So sometimes a, a little test is, is kind of the best way to convince yourself and other people that a project is worthwhile. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know a lot of children's movies always have like toys associated with films, like the shorts, like you're going to be selling The Rock to like a, you know, toy stores or I'm just curious about. With shorts, are we selling any toys? I'm trying to remember what we were keeping with, with shorts. A lot of it are linked with promotionals. Um, I know like on the Spy Kid movies, usually by the time you do a sequel and it's a known property, then that's when companies will get behind a toy line. They usually don't want to risk on a first movie until they know it's a, a known name. Like when Spy Kids came out first, they, nobody knew what that was. And then after that, we, we had toy lines and things because it, it became a name. You know. Maybe for shorts too? Yeah, by the time there's a shorts too, it would be much more... <laughs> Or sometimes in reaction to a movie's success, they'll put something out by the time it goes on, on video or something. I know we have a video game that's going to come out at the same time as the movie uh, on the DS. Yes. Don't be afraid to ask. Yes. What was the last part of your question? Oh, what was my collaboration with Frank Miller? Um, I was just a big fan of his artwork, and um, and I had just done a 3D movie all on green screen, and I realized, looking at this comic again, that I could make it just like the comic if I shot it on green screen using technology, and I, I tried some some tests, and it looked just like the comic, so I tracked him down, found him, showed it to him, and then uh, I went and shot the opening scene to show him that it could be done. And uh, from that point, I, I wanted him on the movie because I knew he knew the world of the movie better. Because in a comic, especially, even more so than a script, 
the comic, there's very little written in a comic book. So most of it I knew was in his head versus what was on the page. So I thought if I'm going to go in Sin City, I should take him with me because he'll be my tour guide. So I wanted him to be there as a... Because he thought about directing it at some point himself, uh, a version of Big Fat Kill. And I said, you should direct Big Fat Kill. In fact, you should co-direct the whole movie with me. That really would be the only safe way to get it done right. It was fun. We had a great time. And then when Quentin was there, it was like three, three peas in a pod, you know. It was really fun. Yes. Anything else? Anything else? How about you ask some questions? <laughs> me ask some questions. What do you got? If you want. Who do you want me to ask them to? You can ask the audience. <laughs> you can ask Jolie, and Jolie will ask you one. Um, all right. Uh, Jolie, what did you think it was like working with Toe Thompson? I won't tell him, I promise. You play oh Toe Thompson. Oh, my gosh, what a dork. <laughs> That's I mean, enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have fun? Uh, did you learn anything? From, like, with all the special effects and stuff? Um, you know, I did probably learned some things, but uh, just, like, um, I don't know. It's, like, maybe it's, it's stuff that you just, like, learn on your own, but you never really realize that you've learned. Like, I learned how to do, like, um, wire work, and that was really fun. So uh, there's definitely th some things that I learned and <laughs> probably yeah, forgotten them. Do wire work. Yeah. On my last day. So it's a happy day because I got to do wire work and a sad day because it's my last day. I've got a, a question for you, but I'm going to ask, I'm gonna take a, that'll be our last question is the one I ask him because it's a good way to wrap up. But um, you have a question? Did you find it difficult when we did green screen or when a lot of the creatures weren't there that you couldn't see? Or um, how um, was it tacked against that? Usually Robert would show us like a sketch or something or um, just like something. He would just show us something or give us an idea of what it would look like. And so we would just look, kind of have that visual memory in our head and then we could just kind of visualize it there. And um, he actually, and then we had like the little uh, spaceship there. So. We knew where the aliens were. <laughs> and you? What happened? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Any last questions before I ask the final question? Yes, sir. For your actor and actresses there, uh, what have you done in the past? What do you enjoy doing? What do you have fun doing? Oh. Um, what, have, what have you done in the past, and what do you enjoy doing, and what do you have fun doing? Well, um, I like to play guitar as a hobby. Um, We'll get to and that I one. probably play like two hours a day when I'm not doing anything. He's not um, kidding. Yes. <laughs> um, I used to do um, claymation where I'd work with like right. puppets that I made. And um, I'd put together little movies. And um, I do enjoy that and playing guitar. So. How about you, Jolie? Um, I like playing tennis and I like swimming. Um, Especially, it gets like really hot at my house. So Where do you live? I live in Arizona, oh, okay. so our average there is like 100 degrees every day, uh, at least during the summer. And um, I like hanging out with my friends. And I don't have any past credits besides shorts. <laughs> so I mean, I've done two student films, but this is my first. Th this is my first major thing. 
Awesome. So, um, you have an Apple story. You made something for me that was in the movie on GarageBand. Yes, I made a song. Uh, it was called Summer Never Ends. Um, it's called Summer Never Ends. And uh, I did write it on GarageBand. And uh, I was just messing around with my friends. And uh, I actually liked it. And I sent it to Robert. And we decided that it should be at the end of the movie at the credits. So when you go see it, just wait until the Stay end Stay there. It's yes. really cool. The credits <laughs> are going up. And you're hearing this jamming tune. And then when the credit goes up for all the music bits... There's his name comes up with his song, Summer Never Ends, and his head pops up next to it. It goes, and it says, Hey, that song you're listening to, I wrote it. And then, it's, and then right when the, his voice goes away, it's right there on his blazing solo. And it's just, that's all in GarageBand. It sounds amazing. Yeah. It really sounds great. So that was pretty cool. So that was your, there's, there's your Apple story for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Apple, making it easy for even a 12 year old to make a rock tune. And, and we put a fake crowd at the end, so when the song yeah. ends, it goes <sighs> at the very end of the credits. And so that was his, his that was his wish come true again to have a big rock song that he wrote playing at the end of a of a studio movie. Um, if that's it, anything else? Otherwise, well, thank you for coming. And hope to see you in theaters August 21st or 22nd. <laughs> any, any day that weekend for shorts. Thank you very much. <laughs>